Welcome to Loaded Talk. I am your congressman, the third most popular candidate of all time, everywhere. I am Frank, and along with me... What's up, Planet Earth? I'm Bean. Charlie. Well, some bad news today, or I guess as of last night, we avoided government shutdown. Now, that doesn't sound like bad news, but I had this plan for today, right? <laughs> I was going to start off the episode with the lights really low and dark, just be like... <laughs> We're one hour in to the shutdown. <laughs> Society has crumbled. <laughs> I, mean, I was going to do a whole bit, but uh, luckily there's going to be a government shutdown every year or so. So in the future, I'll do it again. Anybody that hears this episode will be like, oh, that's a nice callback. And anybody that didn't hear it the first time will be like, well, that's a good bit right there. So I'm, I'm sticking with it. Um, of course, that is one of the big parts in the news right now is that <clears throat> we were... Destined for government shutdown again. And it's because, um, well, it's because we don't set budgets anymore, really. Um, there's lots of reasons, but in general, we used to, as a Congress, because it's part of our duties um, according to the Constitution. So just a suggestion. Uh, but, you know, the Congress is supposed to set budgets, control the purse. The House comes up with the budget, the Senate. Does their own, they go back and forth, bada bing, bada boom, got a budget, president signs it, this is how we spend for the next year. Um, kind of like a business does, or a household. You know, you set a budget, and then you stick to the budget, <clears throat> and sometimes you don't because you're politicians. Um, we don't do that anymore. I think, uh, oh, I had these stats memorized when I did this, um, I had to do a town hall style thing with a bunch of like Republicans and stuff uh, during the congressional run. But it's something like over the last, like since the Obama years, but it's like we haven't set up, we've set like, I think one budget or something like that um, since the Obama years. And it's like, like that's, that's a long time. I mean, for eight, 12, almost 16. And it's just like, we, we barely, we don't set a budget anymore, basically. And, uh, and so then we have to do these continuing resolutions. And so sometimes it'll be for one month. Sometimes it'll be for three months, six months, whatever. Uh, but we go into the year having no idea what we want to spend. And then we just go, I want to spend this now. And then people go, all right, well, we'll just set three months of spending instead of voting on bills. Because that's the other way you get get money budgeted. As you say, I would like to submit this bill uh, for pygmy rattlesnakes to get stilts so they don't feel so short anymore. <laughs> 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 I think it'll cost around $1.5 billion. And then they go and they stand up and, you know, maybe they submit it and maybe it dies in committee or something. But maybe they bring it up as an amendment to a bill back when you could do amendments. And uh, people debate, like, is that really the best use of $1.5 billion? And people go, yeah, no, that's good. Stilts for the pygmies, rattlesnakes. And so, pop, pop, and we spend it. So instead, what we do is continuing resolutions, which is, for the next three months, we're going to spend, you know, a trillion dollars, and it's going to have this much stuff covered in it. And people go, oh, well, did you read all that? Like, nah. But listen, the government can't shut down. Um, oh, God. Well, anyway, so that's... And so in this case, the Republicans did this modification when they took control, saying um, if they did continuing resolutions instead of... Um, per like bill items like one one bill at a time it would trigger some mechanism i forget they said it's gonna be really good it's like it's okay because we do it, it'll trigger this other thing and that's gonna keep making government more efficient 
Like, okay. Um, but man, the, um, the press is such propaganda garbage. So like, you know, who, uh, Stephanopoulos is, mm-hmm. so, you know what his job was before the media. This isn't the guy who takes luggage, is it? <laughs> no, that was a different guy. That oh, guy was okay. awesome. <laughs> or that, that they, that person. Yeah. I think that person is, uh, I think he, I think he is about to uh, catch some real charges because uh, he really did steal a lot of luggage. <laughs> and then he would like wear these people's clothes. Like there's that one woman who makes like, she makes one of a kind dresses and all this stuff. Like she's an artist. She's a textile artist. And so this dude, this dude with his bald ass head and his lipstick goes on there wearing her one of a kind handmade, uh, whatever it was, dress thing. And she was just like, that's mine. <laughs> she was like, I lost my luggage. And that's definitely my dress, which you can tell because there's one of them that exists in the world. Um, so, you know, she's got pretty good climate charges. Um, but I th- there's been a couple others. Like, he's got a serious problem. Uh, but no, so Stephanopoulos, as you know, it's, uh, he's got the side part and a wonderful head of hair because of his damn Greek heritage. Um, but no, he was part of like the Bill Clinton war room, like James, you know, James Carville that looks like yeah. a gremlin. Yeah. So James Carville and, and, uh, Stephanopoulos were, were, you know, I don't know. I, I mean, I think Carville was the leader, you know, but Stephanopoulos was part of that. You know, when, when, uh, women came out and was like, Hey, Bill Clinton raped me. They were like, I know we're gonna call you trailer trash. And which they did. That was part of the plan. Uh, Hillary Clinton was involved in the war room on this too. And so basically uh, what James Carville said about one of them's like, Oh, you know, if you just if you took a dollar bill, put on a fish line, dragged her through the trailer park, she'd come out and find it. And it's just like, oh, okay, well, that's pretty mean for a supposed rape victim. And um, and a few of them popped up, and you know, Bill Clinton didn't exactly have the reputation of being kind. In fact, in fact, um, so you know, my family's from Memphis originally, which is just right over the bridge from Arkansas. And so when he was a young Probably governor at that time. Uh, but he was a young governor. You know, that was part of the thing. He was in his 30s, you know, good looking. Uh, but uh, he apparently was, I guess in the 80s, it was not uncommon, like 70s, 80s, these times. Like, if you go to a business function or a professional function of some kind, you know, uh, men got handsy, right? And maybe it wasn't like waka waka waka, you know, n- not doing the Joe Biden reach under your skirt type thing. But you know, they might uh, grab a little handful of butt, maybe pat you in the butt. Um, you know, some might give you a little beep beep, a little butt pinch. Um, it was, you know, sexist and technically assault and all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't um, rapey, you know. Like it wasn't going to go beyond it unless you gave them a little. Yeah, back to the coat check room, which I guess everyone had back then. <laughs> and uh, but but uh, old Bill was known. He wouldn't just he would like like get a good pinch in there that hurt. He'd leave a bruise on a buttock. I've got this cookbook um, that's like Memphis recipes from this nice restaurant there. Um, I don't think anybody will know it um, outside of Memphis, but uh, at some point they put out like family recipes and all this. And there's a picture of the owner. And Bill Clinton and the owner's like teenage daughter, and they're all in the frame. And so in the first picture, you see everyone's just kind of like, and then it's like, hey, pose for the picture. So like this, and so you know, owner Bill Clinton, daughter in front, and she looks like this, like she's just getting a butt cheek full of finger. They are just getting like, Ugh! 
twisted. Um, but you know, he, Phil Hartman, um, before he was Bill Clinton, the president, he did play Bill Clinton, the governor one time. They had the sketch. Tim Meadows was a highway patrol officer. It was real highways of the Arkansas highway patrol. And this sketch I've only seen like once, but I, I had no idea it existed. And I used to watch all of the Saturday night lives, like every single one up until, you know, around the Will Ferrell years I stopped. But, um, but it was this thing like everyone dreads getting that call on highway patrol. It's just Tim Meadows. Here. Um, first lady's, uh, looking for bill. Wants to know if he's with you. And uh, Phil Hartman's in the back seat. Just like, ah, <laughs> uh, Oh, I think he's at the governor's mansion. Oh, 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 you're at the governor's mansion? Uh, well, I think he said he had a meeting. So, you know, doing all these uh, excuses. And so they're driving. Bill Clinton's like, oh, oh, there's one, there's one. And so he goes and pulls over some chick, you know, because that's an actual scandal that happened in the Clinton years in Arkansas. He used the highway patrol to pull over hot chicks to hook them up. Wow. Yeah. No, there's a, uh, yeah, there's a, during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. There was a, a woman who at this point was a grown woman with a family. Um, you know, a, no no wild years, established years, you know. Uh, but as a college-age girl, um, every now and then, a limo would be sent to her. Um, or maybe right out of college. As a young woman, though. You know, not married. She was wild and loose or just free. Uh, but a limo would come and pick her up. The governor's limo would pick her up from Memphis so she could have a tryst with old Slick Willie. Um and so she starts sitting there like, if they're investigating everything, like, I don't want a news crew at my house asking, you know, something from a while ago, you know, it's not like it was, wasn't recent, but, uh, but yeah, anyway, so Bill Clinton, lots of consensual things, but it seems like there were quite a few that weren't. And so Stephanopoulos was part of the crew that helped Clinton get elected, say elected, but also like, you know. Call them all trailer trash bimbos. And like that was, I think those, that might have been the first time where like major politicians really utilize the destroy the accuser tactic. You know, it's just like, get them. Like her, white trash. She not, she thinks she was raped because she's stupid and money hungry. She's just go back to her trailer and she don't want to live in that trailer. She's going after this very nice man. Um, so anyway, that's George Stephanopoulos. And so he works for ABC now. And so, right before the Bucks game last week, um, not the Bucks game. Oh yeah, Monday Night Football. So yeah, it was I put on ABC, waiting for like pregame stuff to start. And uh, they were interviewing Stephanopoulos was interviewing, talking about this. Uh, they found a cook at like the Capitol or something like that. Nice old lady. I mean, not like old, but you know, like 60s, 70s, something like that. Probably 60s. And. Uh, she was talking about, well, if there's a government shutdown, you know, I don't get to work and I don't get paid. And like, it's really hard because I support my family. You know, they just found a very sympathetic woman um, who, you know, oh, this sympathetic black woman supporting the family and the evil Republicans are going to not let her get paid. And so, you know, it's I've seen all sorts of, like, you know, they used to do the military and people are like, well, the military gets paid. It's just deferred. And so you got to wait till it goes back up and they get it all as a lump sum. And it's, so people are like, well, maybe that's not so good anymore. So now, yeah, ABC did this whole spotlight on a cook. And it's just like, like here, here's my theory on it, right? They're all, all elected people and they're staffers and all that kind of crew. They're overpaid. Government shuts down. They should lose money that they don't get back. You don't get your paycheck. Right now they do. But you don't get your paycheck that week. And you never get it. 
it's gone. That week's gone. We donate it back to the coffers. Uh, you and your entire staff, and I understand, like my, um, I guess he's a step cousin, uh, like he's a staffer for Marco Rubio these days, and, and I don't know his position, it changes, I guess, but uh, so it'd, it'd be him, and it's just like, yeah, you don't get paid, I'm sorry, you know, and uh, but if you are contracted by the government to work in a cafeteria for a year, every year, and it's just like, I think part of it is, you know, there's paid days off for holidays. There's closures that are preset on the calendar uh, when you're not in session. And even then, I bet you they're open for staffers that are there. Because I bet you people are working when they're not in session, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like, no, it's like government shutdown. Well, that sucks. But that is actually, like, I mean, that's an obligation that we set to real people for real employment. You know, um, I know with, like, my companies, when... If uh, if I decide, for whatever reason, we're closed on Tuesday, right? Uh, not a national holiday. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a repair that needs to be done. It doesn't matter what. I just want to pick my nose all day. We're closed on Tuesday. If you're scheduled to work on Tuesday, you get paid as if you were there on Tuesday. It's not your fault that we shut down, you know? Um, you know, there's holidays. You can close down. You get holiday pay. There's all this different stuff, but, like, if I decide you don't get to work today against your will, I pay you. It'd be, I mean, why, why, you know, messed up not to. And so I feel like that should be the same thing. Um, so, yeah. That, so watching, but watching Stephanopoulos and the ABC crew, because it's ABC, it's Disney. So, a, a, you know, watching them, like, really carry this water for the evils of the government shutdown is just tedious. Just tedious. Well, um, one thing that's been happening is, of course, there's there's legitimate things and then there's politics, right? So a government shutdown is going to get pinned on the Republican Party right before a major election, you know, presidential election. There's, um, you know, down ballot stuff, too. Uh, and so there's a contingent C that wants there's a side of the left that doesn't want there to be a compromise because they know where they're going to pin it. And right now the left or the Democrats are in kind of a weak spot, you know, with uh, Joe Biden's approval numbers being like horrible and um, and then also like blue cities and some blue states being like horrible. Um, oh, R.I.P. Feinstein, by the way, she finally yep, kept it. Yep. Yep. Which was not surprising since she was slowly melting into her wheelchair over the last few months, but they kept moving her jaw, making her say, I vote yes. Um, anyway, uh, but anyway, they're in a weak spot. And so <clears throat> one thing that occurred was, um, I want to switch to it. So there's a dude named Jamal Bowman, who New York Post describes as a socialist representative, Jamal Bowman. Uh, so he's, I guess he's considered part of the squad. Um for some people, you know, the AOC squad. Okay, uh, Bowman pulled the fire alarm in a House office building Saturday as Democrats tried to delay a bipartisan vote on Republican stopgap spending bill. The wild incident in the Cannon building was caught on camera and confirmed by several witnesses. An investigation into why it was pulled is underway. So, uh, so he wanted to delay a vote. He's a former school principal. His last job was a school principal. And he pulled a fire alarm so they couldn't vote. Um, and then, here he goes. Here's his excuse. Because, like, he was caught on camera. Like, 
the camera showed him walking up to the wall, pulling the fire alarm, uh, which is also like a crime, by the way. Um, let's see. I was rushing to make a vote. I was trying to get through a door. I thought the alarm would open the door, he said. I didn't mean to cause confusion. I didn't know it was going to trip the whole building. I wanted to be very clear. This was not me in any way trying to delay the vote. It was the exact opposite. I was trying urgently to get to the vote, which I ultimately did. See that picture? Yeah, you got pulled up. Look at that. So he's at this door. There's a fire station. Like, this thing wasn't a weird looking one. It looks like every pool station that's ever been installed anywhere. <laughs> There's a sign above it. Alarm will sound. It's a pool station. Do you know what it looks like? A pool station, let's say, in a school that you might be a principal of. It would look pretty much the same. And so you had to meet with these people. Um, and he's like, no, no, I just, you know, I thought that's how you open the door. You pull the pull station, which, I mean, how many times does that happen to you, Charlie? I would have never thought to pull a fire alarm to open a door. Yeah, but other than that, it's probably happened to you a couple times. <laughs> never. <laughs> There's been some pretty funny things going around the internet since then where it's like, um, I don't know, it'll be like, all right, to open this pill bottle, push down and twist. And Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> What's also like some of the, I mean, I don't know the, you know, how advanced these ones are, but the old school ones had the little, the ink explosion on you when you pulled it. I think they only put those into like certain schools and stuff when they had a problem with people pulling. Because ah. it's not the default. I know we have uh, at our building, we have pull stations and we've had like one time these dudes are pull, uh, carrying sheetrock up these stairs and like these guys are stupid. Um, Anyway, this was a frustrating group to work with. Uh, but they, they're pulling this big thing of sheetrock, and you'll turn in, you'll pivot, pivot. And so somehow they were able to pull the fire alarm by the corner of the sheetrock, evacuating the whole building. And like, I'm looking around, I'm looking at the little fire panel, and like, what does that mean? I'm like, wait a second. I was like, that means probably this staircase back here. I go back there, and these guys are just like, hey. We're sorry. I get a I get a call from their their boss, you know, the the job site manager. Like, hey, I just got a call that I just want to let you know that that's what happened. I'm like, good, great, <laughs> thank you. Um, but you know, a big, a big thing. So today or last night, yesterday, they uh they did sign the continuing resolution. Uh, they are funding the government without any additional aid to Ukraine for. I forget what it is, three months or so. Like, this is a very short-term continuing resolution. So, like, the victory over, like, no funding for Ukraine is an extremely small one because um, that's just – and there's no there's no reason they wouldn't just fund it with something else and then go for a shutdown later. Um, but, you know, an interesting thing occurred. Um, you know, 60 Minutes? Yes. So, remember how, like, when we were kids, they were, like, after, like – good TV was over, tick, 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 and they go, did you know something investigative? We found out that this company does whatever, you know, it's always investigative journal journalism, and I don't know what they've been doing for the last, <clears throat> I don't know, 10 years or something, doesn't feel like they do anything anymore. Well, they did some investigating into the money that goes to Ukraine, huh? which is insane, because no one does that, and so, and I think this is on Breitbart here, um, but so NPR actually, not NPR, sorry, 60 Minutes actually did um, journalism again. <clears throat> this is what they found. Let's see. 
In addition to at least $43 billion in military aid, can we switch is to that, it? Is that this article? Oh, yeah, the second one, yeah. Yeah, okay. Oops. That's all good. But in addition to... Oh, no, do we have a we're cookie good. monster? Oh, okay. In addition to at least $43 billion in military aid, the U.S. has pumped nearly $25 billion of non-military aid into Ukraine's economy since the Ukraine war began February 2022. So a year and a half. $25 billion. Some of the U.S. taxpayer money has been going to prop up small businesses, such as a designer knitwear company in Ukraine's capital, far from the front lines. Like you're knitting clothes, Charlie. Like you... You decided a good business was knitting clothes for people. And, Great. And now a different country pays your salary. The owner of the knitwear company, Tatiana Abramova, told CBS News, <clears throat> Especially in the condition of war, we have to work. We have to pay taxes. We have to pay wage. Salary to our employees. We have to work. Don't stop. When asked how supporting Ukraine's economy would help, help it win the war, Abramova responded, because economy is the foundation of everything. According to CBS News, the United States Agency for International Development even helped Abramova, Abramova find customers overseas. The, the marketing? So we're just running her, her entire company? We're subsidizing it and running the marketing department. Jesus. <laughs> uh, the report said her company supports more than 70 employees and her their families. That's a hell of a network company, by the way. 70 employees? Yeah. Are they all knitting? Are you supplying the entire country with clothes? <laughs> I mean, that's a good small business there. All right, she told the news, We realize that it's aid from, the, from government, but it's the aid from the heart of every ordinary American person, she said. She felt grateful and great. So, uh, you know that money you sent from your heart to the knitwear company in Ukraine? Remember that? Remember how you were talking about that last week? How you really yeah. wanted to do that? <laughs> we succeeded. <laughs> that uh, customer acquisition cost is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. This is happening as Americans struggle to make ends meet. Inflation has cooled from a year ago, but that's, falling to, that's failing to allay the pain of Americans who are still paying it up at the gas pumps and grocery aisles. As a result, there's a growing disconnect between policymakers who... Okay, just whatever. Um... Let's see. USAID is also funding seeds and fertilizers for Ukrainian farmers and covering the salaries of all 57,000 Ukrainian first responders. And then Lindsey Graham. Here's what we got for our investments. We haven't lost one soldier. We reduced the combat power of the Russian army by 50%, and not one of us has died in the endeavor. This is a great deal for America. Like, if that doesn't say we are... Trading Ukrainian lives for our position against Russia on the global stage. Like, screw the Ukrainians. Screw Ukraine. I mean, like, who needs historic buildings and, like, beautiful countryside? Like, let's bomb that shit out, you know? Yeah, it's just for our military storage. It'll, yeah, exactly. <laughs> now it is. And so, like, clear the land so we can fill that stuff up with our, our weapons. I mean, you know, you know when this resolves, if the war party people have their way. Um, we'll have a base in Ukraine and maybe just a tiny, it'll be a Ukrainian base. It won't even be our base. It'll be a Ukrainian base uh, where we'll have satellite offices where we like store munitions and whatever we want to, because I mean, let's be honest, Ukraine is not independent. 
They are our colony. We have colonized them, and Zelensky can talk real tough about all this stuff. The, um, what are they called? NAFO? Do you know these people? It's a Twitter mob. Uh -oh. It's like, what does it send? Fellas, National Allegiance of Fellas. I forget. But it's basically like a troll army. Uh, but if you say, if you talk trash about uh, Ukraine or U.S. involvement, you get lit up and they all have these like squashed little doge um, people. You know, they look like military or astronauts. It's, it's very interesting how many variants they have. And uh, and they, they actually are pretty good trolls. They came after me one time. And some of the times it's like, I can't even be mad. That's kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, all right, all right. You almost got me to bite. Because like, what? I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> but so many of them had the same picture and the same like hashtag NAFO. Uh, it was like, I mean, Nash, something fellas organization. They call themselves the fellas. Um, but, uh, but you know, all these people would be like, oh, it's the best thing. It's like, no, man, no, fellas. We own you. You are not independent. We bought you. We're still buying you. It's either we buy you or Russia takes you over and Zelensky sold you. We own you. Like, you're not even equals to the United States. You are our fodder. We throw you at the Russians and hope that your corpses clog up their tanks. That's what we're doing. We, they can only make so much ammunition, so we're going to keep throwing your bodies at them until the bullets get you know run low from hitting all your family. I mean, that's that's our plan. And like, of course, along the way, we're so stupid about it. We're getting rid of all of our artillery. Like, you know, we're ten years away from being able to break even to where we were, where we were, which is not ideal. Um, but yeah, that's our plan. Our plan is to throw your homes, your babies, all of you, Ukraine. We're going to throw you at the Russians and hope that your blood clogs up their works. Because um, <laughs> it's better than losing one of ours. I mean, that's our position. It's better than losing one American. Just clog up the Russian works with Ukrainian blood and guts until, until we have our fill. And then we'll send BlackRock in, rebuild, and um, <laughs> then you'll really see who owns your ass. Um, let's see. Ukrainian Army Lieutenant Alexander told the network, Ukrainians are paying with their lives, and I believe and I hope that their lives cost much more than money, much more than taxpayers' money. Well, their lives probably should cost more than that, but they don't. Not to us. I mean, point to one way... You know, oh, um, we give money, we give weapons, we care, we care, we care. What's uh, what's that side of Ukraine look like these days? Also, <clears throat> how many government officials have been caught with huge amount of corruptions where they're embezzling the money? So, you know, the rich people who are striking these deals with America, I mean, they're doing fine. You know, we take care of the oligarchs. Oligarchs are always taken care of. Uh, the rest of you, just... Go throw your bodies at Russians and try and take a couple out on your way out. I mean, it's going to be your way out. You're not coming back from this because we'll keep giving bombs. And so your president says, we don't need to stop. Look at all these bombs we got. It's like, what about the buildings? What about the people? Like, yeah, yeah. We have to, we have to reconquer Crimea. It's, it's like, you think gave that up over? We're conquering it. It's like, okay, we'll just throw more bodies. And like the, the money towards the farmers. The messed up thing about that, too. We, uh, so we subsidize farmers, right? In Ukraine. And so 
suddenly the cost of wheat, because, you know, they're the bread basket of the globe or whatever. Um, <clears throat> they make a lot of wheat. Um, well, it's really driven down the price of wheat. Um, so Poland and some other regions, they have stopped accepting wheat purchases from Ukraine because it's killing the market and thus killing their farmers. You know, if you got this whole country where it's just like, I'm already paid, you know, so instead of selling, I don't know what wheat goes for, but instead of a, a dollar a pound, I sell it for, you know, 25 cents a pound. And I don't think that's going to be accurate in any way possible. But, uh, but then all of a sudden all these people are like, well, no, like I paid all my money. I need to get a dollar a pound. And that's not a big margin. That's survival, you know? And so suddenly all this stuff floods the market cheap. And it's um, so like, no, we're not going to take, we're going to take any more your grain. We're not going to, you know, we're not going to do that. It's bad for us. And in Poland even, well, they kind of changed their mind. Poland came out and they go, we're not giving anything else to Ukraine. And we're not giving any more military stuff. And they're like, what? Really? And they go, the next day, like, let me, let me be clear. We're not going to give new stuff. We'll still give you our old stuff. We've got new stuff coming in. But, you know, like people in the region are kind of getting fed up because the Ukrainian government acting like a bunch of brats. Spoiled brats, they get their way. <clears throat> and Zelensky, every now and then, has to go on a brat tour where he shows up in his sweatpants. <laughs> <laughs> He's got to wear his fatigues, you know. But he shows up in his little green outfit looking like a soldier, even though he is more well-known. Before this started, he was most well-known for playing the piano with his penis on television. Um <laughs> He was a comedian, you know? And so he was on some variety show. And he was just, just playing the, playing the piano with his penis. He got a lot of laughs. People loved it. Um, but now he's a serious general. You know, he's the leader. We fight. We do this. And he comes and he gives a speech. And they give a speech about global warming and all that kind of stuff. So he gets all, everywhere he needs to be. And he's just getting more famous and all that. And so part of, uh, part of his most recent tour... He was invited by the Canadian government, run by old uh, Castro Jr., uh, Trudeau. Have you ever seen those pictures of Justin Trudeau compared to young Fidel Castro? Uh-uh. Oh, you haven't? No. Okay, so uh, Justin Trudeau's dad was prime minister for like 12 years, 16 years, something like that. And, uh, and he was a fairly popular. I mean, he's popular. He got reelected all those times. And uh, <clears throat> his wife was beautiful, I guess. And... Uh, but he was very much a leftist, right? And so when Castro, you know, liberated Cuba uh, with his whole thing, uh, Trudeau was a fan. He was like, oh, people's revolution. I like people's revolution, socialism, all that. And so he had Castro up to Canada sometime. They would go down to Cuba to visit. There was times at, um, oh, what was Trudeau Sr.'s name? Anyway, he had to go back to Canada sometime and... Sometimes the wife would hang back with old Fidel Castro and like young Fidel Castro uh, did not look like old man Fidel Castro. Yeah, real quick. I'm going to see if I can just find it. Let's see. Young Fidel Castro. And then what's his name? Trudeau. I'll throw it over to you. Um, but no, so there, there's all these, there's different times that have like been recorded where <clears throat> Mrs. Trudeau, um, Mrs. Trudeau hung back while um, Mr. Trudeau, oh, that's a good picture, went back home. 
And so, and like she, I guess, would discuss sometimes about how how attractive uh, Castro was. Um, oh man, it's not wanting to load. Oh, actually, that's a good one. <laughs> the caption on this one is "No internet." Fidel Castro isn't Trudeau's son. <laughs> but let's uh, just say I'm gonna just send this to you so we can get the picture up. Oops, shit. Um. <laughs> It's worth it. It's worth it. Okay. Just go to where the picture's at. But you can kind of see he's got that uh, 1950s actor. Yeah, scroll down. Look at that. So on the left. Wait. Yeah, that caster right there. Yes. Yeah. Um, so Fidel, look, I mean, he looked like a movie star a little bit. Um, you know, he's got that little mustache and all that. That's, you know. And so. Interesting. Yeah. And there's other pictures. So, you know, you see these two together. Um, there's other pictures where it's like you see Justin Trudeau's dad next to Justin Trudeau. You see Fidel Castro next to Justin Trudeau. And you're just like, I don't know. It seems like during the exact time period of conception that she was hanging out with Fidel alone in Cuba, sometimes in Canada. And she sure said he was a dash. And look, that's a good looking man right there. Um, so, you know, she was an, I think she was an actress, too, or something. And uh, so it sure seems like probably, I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, so uh, they're doing their big, oh, what's it called? It's the equivalent to our State of the Union. It's, um, what do they call it? They call it the, eh, I don't know. Okay. But so basically it was the equivalent of the State of the Union. Um, and House address canadians okay well Zelensky came in town um to address canada's house of commons and like in our state of the union we go, oh this is sarah mcgillicuddy and she uh she lost her husband in iraq and now she raises 14 kids and let's give her an applause people you know how we do we do the same thing and so they brought in this old fella and uh let me find this quote here so we scroll down the speaker of the house a speaker whatever they call it uh, House Speaker Anthony Rhoda. So Zelensky is in the crowd. We have here in the chamber today a Ukrainian-Canadian veteran from the Second World War who fought for Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today, even at his age of 98. He's a Ukrainian hero, a Canadian hero, and we thank him all for his service. Thank you. So there's a standing ovation. Hey, Charlie, in World War II... Uh, who fought against the Russians? Do you remember? Because it was on one side was the Allies. You had America, you had Russia, uh, you had England, and then the other side. Who were we fighting in World War II? Oh, the Nazis! Ends up he did fight the Russians because he was part of the what's it called the Waffen at the. 14th Waffen SS Grenadier Division. Yes, he fought the Russians. He was a Nazi, an active member of the Nazi army or the Grenadier Division. And uh, and so so they that dude gives that speech, standing ovation. Woo! And so old man stands. And they again, love that guy. Love that guy. He's a Nazi. He's a legitimate like Nazi. And, uh, and, you know, after World War II, he was just like, 
I'm out of here. And so he snuck off to Canada where he's kind of been living low key. Um, apparently, every now and then he makes blog posts uh, on Ukrainian message boards. And listen, maybe you live in Ukraine during the World War II days. And you go, hey, man, I don't want these people here. Like, I want to defend against the people that are in here, you know? And, or you just go, you're conscripted to the army and you're here, you know? So if you live in Germany, if you live in Ukraine, if you live in Austria, like, if you were forced to or volunteered to fight for your homeland, you're a Nazi, you know? That's not the same as running a concentration camp or being like, um, Somebody that's planning all this stuff, you know. But. (laughs) (laughs) But you fought for the Nazis. And so, like, yeah, so because Zelensky was going to be there, they needed a Canadian-Ukrainian hero. So they brought in a long-term Nazi and gave him two standing ovations. Which, do you remember when uh, Russia invaded Ukraine? What uh, Putin said one of the purposes of the invasion was? I do not remember. The denazification of Ukraine. So now, Putin, and really anybody, we have to take a clip of the West, in this case being played by Canada, Zelensky, in attendance, standing and cheering for an actual Ukrainian Nazi. And cheering two standing ovations and it's just like you just just hand the propaganda over just hand it over like it doesn't make it difficult you know and when the azov battalion is already one of your most like prominent glorious battalions and they're definitely nazis it's like all right so you got a nazi problem and you're cheering for nazis and they're like, well, Zelensky's Jewish. It's like, well, some people said Hitler was like half Jewish mm-hmm. or quarter or whatever, you know? So it's just like, that's, you could be a Nazi. You know, uh, George Soros. When he, he was a Zionist. Young, <laughs> well, he was a young man, and granted, he was alone and, and Nazi. What was he, Hungary? Hungary? Austria? Yeah, I think he was Hungary. Hungary yeah. yeah. And so, like, you know, he survived by telling the Nazis where Jewish families were hiding. And so he was just like, they're in that attic. And, uh, which, you know, you're a little kid. You got to do whatever to survive. Uh, you don't got parents. They're dead. Um, so I don't fault him. But as a grown man, he was asked if he had any regrets. And he was like, no, no. He's like, you know, there's these things. I just had to do it. And like, I can understand the answer being, I don't blame myself uh, for I was a child and I was scared and trying to survive but i feel horrible for you know what i my these were mistakes and i did not know better and yes of course i would not do it again if i known what was happening and was not a child or something like that you know that was not soros's response he's just like not me i survived <clears throat> which you know yay <laughs> so i don't know it's 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 writing it's writing the propaganda for old pooty poot. So it's like in America, we're paying for the knitwear companies. We're paying for the cops and the ambulances and the firefighters for the corpse dogs, which I mean, it makes sense if you're funding the military to fund corpse sniffing dogs. 
but seeds, seeds, farmers, all. I mean, the billions of dollars, and then you know you counter that to Hawaii, <laughs> and like, excuse me, the old pipes are dry. But uh, in Hawaii, you know they, you know this big area burnt down, obviously. And obviously there was opportunists in the private sector who started reaching out to these people and like, I'll buy that land right now, straight cash, you know, for a discount, obviously. And as much as that's gross, and I get that it's gross, I also understand that if you're in the business of making some money on land or whatever, it's a hell of an opportunity if half of 1% says yes, you know? Well, you all, but Hawaii, you have to be a certain percentage of Hawaiian or in your background in order to purchase the actual land. You can purchase the building, but you can't purchase the land underneath unless, like they, they Oprah do it. They save ninety percent of the Hawaiian land for Hawaiians, as my understanding. Yeah, but I mean, like uh, Oprah and I have, I have no idea. Yeah, okay. Because I've looked, I've just looked into it for future purposes. Sure, sure. Yeah. You can you can buy the building, but you never own the land underneath it I unless mean, you're Hawaiian. Technically, in America, you never own the land or the building because of property taxes. You give that, pay it off 100 percent, pass it on to your kid. Uh, first thing they do is they say, "Well, 30 percent of that value or whatever." Now uh, you need to pay me in cash to keep that building. It's like what? It's like yeah, your dad gave it to you. That's inheritance. It's like, and that building's probably worth $10 million now. So, you know, give me $3 million. And it's like, I don't have $3 million. Well, you do if you sell the house. It's like, well, then I don't have the family house. That's how, like, all the farms are going away in America. It's like, they they hype up the value of the land. Because it's acreage. It's lots of acreage. And so some of it's like, well, today's value is worth this. And, you know, some grandpa's like, <clears throat> I'm leaving it to my grandsons. They help me work it. And I think that they'll be true and all that. And then... Grandkids get it, and then they get that tax bill where they go, I've never seen that much money in my life. I think the only way we can see that money is to sell the farm that we don't want to sell because we want to honor our grandfather's legacy, keep working the family farm. We like tradition. <clears throat> and um, no, you don't get to. Sorry. But like, so that's on. That's one way they screw you. Then on top of that, property taxes. So that's all paid off. I own that. That's my land. It's like, unless I skip property taxes for about three years, then it's sold at auction and it's not my land. So, you know, as much as the Hawaii thing sounds a little controlling, it's really not that far different than, I mean, because even then those Hawaiians, they don't own the land, don't pay you property taxes and like the state will take it. At some point, the federal government can take it. Like, be proud, Hawaii, but you're part of America. You just screwed as all of us. Um. Or that rant, what was I just talking about? <laughs> Ukraine. Oh, how much we're giving Ukraine. Oh, oh yeah, so if you look at how much we give to the farmers and all that versus, so yeah, the opportunists came in trying to buy the land. But then some of the government officials right away were like, we're going to build a monument here. It's like, hey, that's not your land. I mean, your land, but it's like, yeah, you're not going to build a monument where like these 10 houses were. I think those people would like a house there again. Maybe they can't afford it. Maybe they do have to sell their lot. But, 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 but you don't get to just go, well, we'll just, we'll build a, a monument here. We'll, we'll pay them some shekels. Cause like the, how much, what did it say we spent on 
Da, 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 da. Oh no, I'm onto the Nazi thing in this article. But like the billions of dollars that was spent um, on see, let's see, forty three billion in military aid, twenty five billion in non military aid, right? So there weren't that many houses that burned down. Just it's an island; it wasn't that huge of a neighborhood. <clears throat> but uh, if, and I'm not saying I'm in favor of this, right? I don't think the government should be in this business. But if they rebuilt every house that was lost, it would not cost $25 billion. It wouldn't, I doubt it cost $1 billion, you know? Um, and it's just like, well, what did they give them? Like $700? $700 for family. Yeah, something like that, where it's just like, okay, well, <clears throat> big priority there. It's like, but these Ukrainians. They can't be expected to. And that's the thing that the knitwear lady, she was like, well, I got to pay taxes. It's like, well, do you? Because normally taxes pay for the first responders and stuff like that. Uh, But it seems like we're paying for those, too. And we're paying for the war. What are your taxes going toward? Golden swimming pools. But I don't want to pin it all on Ukraine. They're not the only corrupt people here. Um, Oh, real quick. Canada's. Speaker did step down after that. <laughs> He's just like, I'm embarrassed. What do you say? No one in the house is above any of us. Therefore, I must step down as your speaker. I reiterate my profound regret of, for my error in recognizing an individual in the house during the joint address with President Zelensky. The public recognition has caused pain to individuals and communities, including the Jewish community in Canada and around the world, in addition to Nazi survivors in Poland, among other nations. I accept full responsibility for my actions. Yeah, I mean... Dude just wants to get a bank loan in the future. (laughs) I gotta say, that's one of my favorite things, like when Kanye West and some of these other cats come out and they go like, Jews control the world, and they control the economy, and they control the banks. And people, they're like, everyone's like, that's anti-Semitic. And then people go, yeah, and you can't bank with us anymore. <laughs> it's like, and we cancel all your sponsorships. <laughs> it's just like, I don't know if you're communicating the message you're looking to communicate. It's <laughs> uh, uh, like, see, I told you. All right, well, here on the domestic front, there's also corruption. Did you hear about old Menendez? Mm-mm. So, uh, Senator Menendez from the clean state of New Jersey, um, he, for the second time in his career, has been indicted for corruption charges. The first time, it was the 90s, early 2000s, but it was stuff that was, he got, yeah, he took a trip somewhere for free, he stayed in a nice place for free, <clears throat> and so he had this, like, some travel stuff that he didn't have to pay for. Um, and so he got caught and he just said, no, I did nothing wrong. So it goes to court. And he was able to show that he goes, show me any legislation that was different based on the way I voted. Show me anything that happened that wouldn't have happened otherwise. If not for me taking this vacation. And so they basically couldn't prove it. And so he's like, this this was because I'm friends with this guy, not because he's trying to be corrupt, you know? And he won, right? And so now <clears throat> we're in number two, where, let's see if it says all the stuff in here. Um, <clears throat> so 
U.S. Senator Menendez, charged with bribery, says he will not resign. U.S. prosecutors on Friday charged powerful Senator Bob Menendez and his, and his wife with taking bribes from three New Jersey businessmen, which could complicate Democrats' efforts to keep their slim majority. Menendez uh, later stepped down temporarily from his role as chairman of the Senate's Foreign Relations Committee until the case was resolved. Uh, blah, 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 blah. U.S. Attorney's Office in Manhattan said Menendez, 69, accepted hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of cash and gold bars in exchange for using his power and influence as New Jersey's senior senator to build uh, or to benefit the government of Egypt and interfere with law enforcement probes into the business. Menendez has been an important ally to fellow Democrat Joe Biden as the president has sought to reassert U.S. influence on the world stage, rally support for congressional aid to blah, 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 blah. Let's see. Everyone's calling for him to resign. So what they did, they searched his house, right? They did a raid. He didn't just have, like, like oh, you gold bar. What's a gold bar? It's a kilo. So, like, <clears throat> gold's like, I don't know, 2,000 an ounce, right? So, what is it? How many? 28 grams to an ounce. And so, whatever that math is, you know, I guess 25 grams would be 40, 40 ounces. So 40 times 2,000 is a lot. I don't know. That's $80,000 in gold. Two gold bars. Two kilos of gold in the house. And then all these envelopes full of cash in like suit pockets, under cushions, under here. Like there's just various envelopes of cash everywhere in his house. And it added up to about $480,000, something like that. Basically half a million. And so he's caught with this. And and it seems that they probably have some communications from Egypt as to why he has all this. But he's not going anywhere. He says, I didn't do it. It wasn't me. And uh, so he came out. He said, <clears throat> listen, I know it looks strange. I understand that. Um, over the course of my career, long, prominent career. We, I, okay, you're back. No, it's okay. weird. You dropped out for a second. I disappear sometimes. It's Sorry. the CIA. No big deal. Uh, but during my career, I've made withdrawals from my savings account. Uh, savings that I've put in there for my very legal salary as a senator and whatever else. I've just taken these cash withdrawals and I've saved them at home. And I know you find that strange. But you have to remember my family's of Cuban heritage. And the Cuban government would raid people's homes. Steal all the money out of their bank accounts. And so, you know, because I grew up somewhere where they were uh, nationalizing bank accounts, I thought, I'm just going to save some at home, worst case scenario. So that's his excuse. He took small amounts of money for a long period of time to get half a million dollars cash in his house hidden. Of course, if you were a, if you were a Cuban-American who was familiar with what Castro did, you might say, I don't think the government should be big and powerful, which is not Menendez's position. <laughs> like he's very much the, just the old Democrat, or just more government programs. Well, we keep doing government programs as long as they give us votes, as long as I can stay in this seat, as long as I don't have to leave until I melt into a wheelchair like Diane Feinstein. Feinstein, <coughs> excuse me. 
Um, yeah, and so I think you know that's what Bob wants to do, and he's he's fighting it. He's saying he said he pled not guilty, not even like no contest, not like let's make a deal. He said not guilty, and I, you know, it'd be a hell of a thing for a federal prosecutor to take a swing at a senator twice and miss and have a job. Um, and it seems like they have to have something because they're saying it's from Egypt, not just general why you got all this cash, you know? Um, but still part of me thinks he's going to walk and I love his confidence. <laughs> he's got gold bars. Yeah. I mean, it's not just the cash. You have gold bars. Yeah. How many gold bars do you have? <laughs> None. <laughs> I wish I had them. <laughs> uh, now that's the th- Yeah. And he, uh, yeah, he has gold bars. And he's just like, no, this is all legal. You can't tell me I can't have it. It was true. You're allowed to have gold bars. You're allowed to have cash. But where did it come from, Senator? Because, like, that's the other thing. Like, I'm sure they're going to get your bank records. Are we going to be able to see $480,000 worth of cash withdrawals over the last 20 years or whatever? I'm thinking no. But um, I do love... I love the fight. I love the arrogance. You know, who's your gold guy, dude? Say, <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, I found a bunch of old jewelry and I had it melted down. Now, I, I love the arrogance. I love just, you know, these people that do corrupt things. <clears throat> they get caught and they go, "Well, I'm awfully sorry, guys. Like, I I didn't mean to do that. I'm a really nice guy." And I guess I just made a mistake. I didn't mean to have all that anonymous gay sex in the airport bathroom <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, and they just leave. Or I, d- I didn't mean to buy them prostitutes. I didn't mean to uh, do that land deal. They just go, oh, I regret it. I'm going to retire. And they step down. They get some cushy job somewhere. They get kind of washed and they they find stuff. Um, but they don't act. They're not sorry. They're sorry they got caught. You know, I, lo- I kind of prefer the. The, just the shaggy. The, it wasn't me. It's like, she saw me on the counter. It wasn't me. It's like, she got me on camera. It wasn't me. <laughs> just, I mean, come on. If you're going to be like a bad guy, like just go for it. Just, no, I didn't do that. <laughs> Sir, you posed for the picture. It's not me. Hey, everybody. <laughs> it's uh, Kids in the Hall had this great sketch. It was uh, David Foley. I think it was on the stand uh, in some trial. And so he's being uh, he's being grilled about like murder or something. It's like, sir, <clears throat> isn't it true that you killed this man? No. Like, Is this not a picture of you holding the gun with smoke coming out of it aimed at the victim? Nope, that's not me. And they kept doing this. He's like, Nope. And then he goes, this is easy. <laughs> He's like, no, that's not me. Nope. That's not me either. No, I didn't do that. No. Nope. Like, Man, this is easy. I was like, that was good. <laughs> so yeah, I kind of, uh, I like that tactic. I, I wish him the best. <laughs> it's Jersey. Like, what do you expect? You can get a senator from Jersey that's not a crook. I mean, sorry, people in New Jersey, but I mean, come on. Since you're in uh, Sopranos land. All right, we're. Uh, what do you want to finish with, Fauci or auto workers? Oof. Yeah, this is tough. I don't like Fauci. Fauci. That's probably a shorter one. Here, but auto workers are going. Hey, we. I'll just do Fauci real quick. We'll do both. We'll see if we can fit. How, what, how much time? Where are we at? Fifty-five. 
Yeah, right, yeah, we'll do Fauci and see what we got. Um, all right. So Fauci, this is an editorial piece in the Washington Times. It was based on real stuff. Fauci's suspicious CIA connection smacks of a COVID cover-up. Democracy depends on transparency. Uh, just whatever, shut up. Um, the latest revelations suggest the prevailing narrative of the time was more than a product of intelligence agency manipulations and science, that is. If it proves true that Dr. Anthony Fauci collaborated with the CIA to conceal the virus's origins. Information gathered by the House Select Subcommittee on the Coronavirus Pandemic points out that while serving as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases uh, during the pandemic, the now-retired Dr. Fauci was spirited into CIA headquarters in Langley, Virginia to shape the outcome of the agency's investigation into the cause of the outbreak. Subcommittee Chairman Brad Winstrup, Ohio Republican, made the charge in a letter... The information provided suggests that Dr. Fauci was escorted into CIA headquarters without a record of entry and participated in the analysis to influence the agency's review. Um, So, basically, in the early days of the coronavirus outbreak, Fauci and the CIA met, without it being on the official logs of him actually ever going to the CIA... Yeah, they're but they're fine. They're you know U.S. heroes um, to have a conversation about something, and it was right around the time when they're trying to cause <clears throat> or talk about the cause of coronavirus. And what was the uh, what was the original cause of the coronavirus outbreak? Um, bat soup. Yeah, the wet market eating bats, making love to a pangolin. Um, stay in the marsh. <laughs> banging that pangolin. That's what caused it. Um, but yeah, so that was the thing, this wet market deal, right? And then as things are going on, you know, we find out it's like, there's a lab, a virology lab for infectious respiratory diseases in Wuhan. No, no, no. No, no, no. And then I remember in the early days of the invasion of the Ukraine, um, there were labs um, that were uh, biological warfare labs uh, which according to America they were Soviet era biological warfare labs and we were there to make sure that everything was disposed of correctly and so yes they existed towards the border sure America's involved over there but it's more of a Soviet era like let's get rid of all this safely because, you know, the Soviet Union just fell, like, last week. Uh, it takes a long time to get rid of this stuff. You couldn't get it done in, like, a year or two or 20 or what year is it? 30. <laughs> it takes a while, you know? Um, so, Rand Paul says it can be one of three things. Either CIA said, Dr. Fauci, this is what the problem is, or this is what we're going to say the problem is. Dr. Fauci said, listen, CIA, this is what we're going to say the cause was. Or they colluded together, right? My theory is that, so we know that we couldn't do gain-of-functional research in America. Obama shut that down. And during the Obama years, Fauci's like, oh, I'm the science, it's fine. And so you couldn't do it in America. You couldn't fund it. But you could fund this group over here the eco health alliance and the eco health alliance who's just doing research they could do a grant 
over here to this other lab. Well, so it was a joint effort between the Chinese and the Americans in Wuhan to do gain-of-function research on respiratory viruses. And I think it did get out accidentally. Though sometimes I wonder about that. Just, what's that group? Um, like the World Economic Forum and all that, where they had like Bill Gates and all these cats that were like, you know, I think the next big disaster is going to be a... a an epidemic, a pandemic. And then they had a whole handbook of like, well, they would war game a pandemic and how to handle it. And it was always strict lockdown government controls. <clears throat> and a lot of it came to fruition during this. So, you know, to say that there's a chance that people said, listen, this one is going to kill elderly people and obese people, like people with like some issues already. Um, but you know, young people will be fine. Um, they'll remember, but the young people are going to live. Um, and you know, a lot of people, mo most people live, but at first it's going to take out lots of elderly and lots of infirmed, lots of obese. There you go. Well, let's test it out. Like infirmed, like elderly are going to die soon anyway. Obese, fuck them. <laughs> and, uh, infirmed, well, they can roll the dice. And so you could see how maybe they go, now, let's try out our game plan. Fellows, you know, they're not going to try it with Ebola. Because, like, if they catch Ebola, like, that's not good for them either, you know? So, you just, okay, here you go. Um, But that lab did have issues with uh, proper security, proper, um, proper lab procedures, you know? So, I tend to think it slipped out by accident. Perhaps I'm wrong. I don't know. Um, but either way, I, I think we had that lab and I think we have other labs and we're doing this gain of function research, part of it for good, part of it, I think biological weapons or something. Um, but I'm willing to bet the CIA is totally aware of all these labs. Um, maybe they are personally invested in the outcome of some of these labs. Like what kind of, can you get me a virus? Like, Oh, you got a virus that does this. Can I have one, you know, and what they do with it, you know, maybe just a little injection into a coffee. Who knows? But I think the CIA is very aware of every biologic lab that we have <clears throat> in Ukraine, China, anywhere else and what those things are doing and what the possible benefits and dangers and, you know, utility would be in all of them. And so I think that it was a meeting where it's just like... <clears throat> You know, Fauci knows about this lab. He made sure they got funded. CIA, CIA knows about this lab because they're the CIA. So it's like, get in here, Fauci. We got a problem. You know, if they find out about COVID being made there, what else are they going to find out that was made there? Yeah, we got to shut this down. Like, what do we got? And I think they, I think maybe just because CIA has got analysts and researchers and all that kind of stuff that like they present data folder. Like, look, there's a wet market. There's a wet market outside of town. Uh, they sell all this like weird stuff, bats and pangolins and stuff to eat. Like maybe there, huh? Maybe there. And ah, yeah, that sounds good. Ah. And so I think they came up with an idea. They noodled through it and they went, "That'll work." And that was the meeting. That's my theory. Because um, I don't know. I don't think Fauci was like strong armed by the CIA. Like, oh, you won't talk about this because you know. CIA's got no, theoretically nothing to lose if it's just 
this Wuhan lab. You blame it on the Chinese. Move past it. So, I mean, no one's found anything so far. No one's going to find anything. Well, you just blame it on the Chinese. You move on. Uh, and I don't think Fauci has the stones or the strength to strong arm the CIA. Or it's just like, this is what we're going to talk about, you bastards. It's like, you listen here. You swim with the fishes. Like, you know, he's just a little nerd. <laughs> we're the CIA, dude. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, it's funny. We just killed your family 15 seconds ago. <laughs> we just waited for you to get threatened. And we just hit a button. You didn't even see us. Like, it was quick. You're all dead. Um, but yeah, like, come on. But, like, that's the only thing I can think is just, like, let's talk about the situation that we have in Wuhan. We know about our assets on the ground. And we think we need to come up with a plan. You know? So, that's my theory on the matter. But at least... We know that COVID policy was not politicized or manipulated for power. It was just science and the love of its people. You just love American people. You got to get jabbed a lot more. Have you got, did you get uh, inoculated with the yeah, thing? Yeah, I got the one that was least popular with J&J. Yeah, oh, just okay. because I figured, one, it's the old school. Uh, old school. What was uh, it? Yeah, it's not the mRNA. Oh, okay. And two, the government quickly said it wasn't working. So I'm like, I'm going to go with that one. <laughs> <laughs> it counts. Well, that was, I got the, I caught COVID. So, you know, in Florida, they kind of tranched it out by age. So they said, all right, first the elderly get it. And so I forget, you know, what's going on. And, uh, and I was like, I don't, they've come my position with flu shots too. I was like, I'm not going to get one because like I'm a healthy person. I'm not concerned. <clears throat> I think I'll be fine. Um, and like flu shots, they say save it for the elderly and the infirmed. And I always go, well, neither of those, so I'm not gonna get a flu shot. Um, and so with that, but I was like, I don't know. And the, like the the stats early were good until we found out they were lying, um, like just straight line. Um, the the ninety something percent effective thing is just so ridiculous to me about how that number is just totally falsified with like backwards logic. Um, but you know, so you're seeing these numbers, and it's like, okay. Okay, well, that sounds good. I was like, I don't, I'm not gonna be in a hurry. You know, I'm not gonna be in a hurry. I don't understand it yet, but like, I'm not opposed necessarily. But you know, I'm hesitant. I kind of want to see any new thing. Let's just see how it looks for a while. You know, just I'll hang back. Y'all watch, and you know, of course, they said it first. If you get it, you can't catch it. You know, get the the, the vaccine, you can't catch it. And I'm like, well, I'm not gonna hurt anybody. They can't catch it. You know. And so, but I think, uh, they released it to my age group and, um, within two weeks, cause like I said, I wasn't like speeding to sign up for it, but within two weeks of it being released to my age group, I got COVID and it was all Rachel's brother, David's fault. Um, cause he had it and she shared a drink and then came back here and then all of us were sick other than the kid, the kid was fine. But, uh, but after that, you know, I got through it and it wasn't really all that bad. Um, I had like. I had a day. The only thing that was weird, this was before I knew I had like blood pressure stuff. And at that time I could definitely feel that I was having blood pressure stuff. And uh, like when I was <clears throat> out here setting up old Frankenfield, I had all these like, you know, 50 pound bags of sand. So I was like, well, I got all this time. I'm going to finish pouring all this stuff. And so, you know, if you, in the direct sunlight of late spring florida hucking 50 pound bags of sand it could be tiring i got tired more often i had to take more breaks you know and i started taking baby aspirin because i was like i just feel like my heart's working more 
Um, I didn't suffer because I already had high blood pressure. Um, but I, I learned about, you know, that chunky blood, the COVID chunky blood. So I was like, I'll just take aspirin as blood thinner. Uh, but that was the worst of it. And then, like, I was pretty much fine until day 10 where I puked. And then, uh, but that was it. And then second time I got it also. I was pretty much no symptoms until day 10 that I puked. Well, no, I didn't. I just was nauseous. Um, but, you know, after I got it, I was like, well, now I don't need a, a vaccine because I got the antibodies. And uh, I do something else. But I was like, I got the antibodies. Now I'm good. What are they doing? Camera. Leave us alone, CIA. I don't know. But then they're like, oh, your antibodies don't count. And I was like, I don't believe that. When they're like, oh, your antibodies only last for six months. I'm like, well, we've only known about this thing for six months. Like, how can you possibly know that? Like, we don't have data beyond six months old. You don't know how my antibodies work. I was like, why would this be the first respiratory virus in the history of respiratory virus, in the history of coronavirus, where it's just like, this one, my antibodies just go away for some reason? So I was like, I don't know. I don't believe that. I'm going to just treat this like every other respiratory coronavirus that we've been aware of since the beginning of time, um, which I think was the right call. And so, anyway, I'm inoculated the natural way. Um, all right. Well, I think that'll do us uh, for this week. Maybe the auto worker strike will still be going on next week. We'll talk about it then. Uh, like us, subscribe. We're on the YouTubes and the Rumbles and the, all the stuff. Uh, we're not Russell Brand yet, so they probably won't try it. Well, we're not even monetized anyway, so whatever. Uh, but, uh, all right. Until next week, Charlie. Um, stay safe, planet Earth. Yeah, we're not safe. We're never going to be safe, Charlie. It's not like that. Let's go for some football. Go, Bucks. <laughs>